and welcome to Conversation with a Chef. I'm Joe Ritty and I love sharing with you the conversations I get to have with talented and passionate chefs. It's the backstory, if you will, to the food they're putting up. Today's chat is with Nathan Scarfo. Nathan is set to open his first solo venture, Rizzy, in Mooney Ponds in March next year. Full of personality, Nathan loves life and cooking Italian food. This is one of those conversations that would have definitely have been great as a video because of the animated way Nathan talks about his passion. I learned a lot about risotto, reality TV cooking and Mooney Ponds and I can't wait to try Nathan's risotto in March. Nathan, welcome yes. to Conversation with the Chef. Thank you. You're my 201st conversation. Wow, that's a kind of model. I know. It's I like that. Good, isn't it? 201, yeah. Um, so, I've been doing a little bit of reading about you. Yes. And, um, there's a few things that really fascinate me um, in terms of your specialty for risotto yeah. and, and parfaits as well. And parfaits? Yeah, I read that on the, the pop up TV thing you did. Oh. And oh. <laughs> in the bio. Oh, like, that. That old chestnut. Yeah. Yeah, look, we did do a bit of parfait, but that, that would, I wouldn't call that my speciality, of course. But definitely risotto is. Yeah. Risotto and pasta are my two bad boys. Yeah. They've always been my best friends. So always. Is that, um, yeah. is that a family tradition? Yeah. Well, not so much. Like, risotto for me growing up as a young kid wasn't that much. Like, we ate it, of course, but it wasn't a big thing. Pasta was always huge. Yeah. yeah at home, at least three nights a week we'd eat pasta. It was crazy. Yeah, so what's your background? My background's from my mum. My mum's from Germany, and my my dad's from Italy. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But they're both born here, so yeah. families, of course. But, yeah, you know, yeah. that's how Aussie wit is. Yeah, Welcome yeah. to Melbourne. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So did you, did you always think you'd be a chef? Yeah. Actually, I did. Like, from a young age. Like, my dad builds restaurants. That's what he does. Wow. Yeah, so I've always been in and out of the kitchens, the front end, seen them being built. And I guess the whole premise was I was probably meant to be a builder once upon a time. <laughs> um, and that's fine. Maybe it was the baby toolboxes. Maybe it was the little hard hats. But for me, I was always fascinated on what was going on in the kitchen when the chefs were getting ready and, you know, yeah. walking in and smelling the food and being a young kid always going onto those sites, especially in the last little stages of fit out. There's no, normally a crossover of uh, builders and then also, like, chefs like, hurriedly getting, you know, menu prep and testing done. And I was out at the back and the chefs would always sling me some food and it always fascinated me, wow, what, what's this side of things? So... That and I always like to eat. I was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not gonna lie. But I guess too, maybe um, I'm making a really broad generalisation here, but um, but often in European and especially Italian culture, food is a means of bringing people together. It's sort of maybe, yeah. And I mean, it is now here as well. Oh, of course. I feel like that cultural thing is a lot more, you know, French <laughs> and Italian is that yeah. whole. You know, just getting it down together. Yeah, look, at the best way to describe it, like we always knew what day it was by who was coming over to visit on the night at my <laughs> house. That was that was growing up as a kid, you know, like you know, we always had family here, there and everywhere, all within a throwing you could throw a rock and you would hit a cousin somewhere around over a fence. Like it was yeah. it was always nuts and you know, I think that's what made food to me so special. Like, yeah, like you no. know, it was always, you know, Fridays was fish night. Nonna and Nonna would always come over on Friday night, we'd eat fish with the family and watch football and have coffee at half time with Tiramisu. That was that was normal. Yeah, yeah. When I went to school as a six-year-old, people didn't understand. I, I was like, what do you mean you don't do that? Like, <laughs> I don't understand what's fish and chips on a Friday night. I didn't understand what yeah, that was. Yeah. I was like, I know what fish is on a Friday. Yeah. What's this fish and chips? I didn't understand. Like, and we had it, of course. I was never deprived, but I never understood why you would have that then. Like, for me, it was, we'd have, like, garfish 
fish or flathead or, you know, all these yeah, beautiful yeah. fish that is now really expensive that used to be just normal eating for yeah, us. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So then what was the step from that into and, and being so fascinated by it to how did you start off your career? Look, I, I think when I started, I was never a good student. I will wholly admit that. If I was a teacher reflecting on my, my me being a student now, I'd go, yeah, I couldn't wait for the bell to ring and for him to be out. But that wasn't my thing. I get that. The irony is I just qualified being a trainer and assessor. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so from a bad student to a teacher, work that out. But then maybe that's really good because then you've got sort of an idea of those kids that you want to, yeah. you know, you can look out for them and so on as well. Because I'm actually a teacher. I'm a French teacher. There and, you um, go. And I'm so... You've got to be really aware of all those students, I think. Not everyone, I was a real nerd at school, so I'm like, I'm, if people are not learning French, I'm like, why are you not? Like, why, why wouldn't you? you know? <laughs> so it, exactly. might be, it might be better to be an assessor who yeah. a bit naughty. <laughs> oh, look, and that's it, you know, and I think, you know, teaching people, <clears throat> not that I don't do a lot of it these days, these days I just, I'm a gun for hire for the next few months, which yeah. is great. Um, and it's good to be back on the decks, like, cooking, I suppose. Yeah. But when I was training and assessing a little bit, especially through, like, you know, you have to do it to become a teacher, you've got to do some teaching classes, I was quite frank. And I guess that's it's a fresh, refreshing approach. And I found kids responded really well to it. They're like, yeah. hey, he's not, not going to tell me I'm special. <laughs> he's going to help me get to where I need to be. be yeah. it, I'm going to be a better server, a better coffee, or I can cut a carrot better. Whatever it might be, yeah. I think that's the... Honesty is the truth. Honesty yeah. is the best key. So then going back to you, so yes. you weren't a great student and you were running for the bell to ring. Yeah. Then, so, so. But they were always waiting for the bell to ring for me because I was always causing a bit of trouble <laughs> in the class. Not, not the other way around. I was always having a great old time. You know, we're always okay. laughing and joking and, you know, never anything bad, always innocent stuff, but I was always having a bit of a laugh with yep. my mates. And then I guess that I needed to decide what I wanted to do and it came to the work experience time of year and I was like I always worked I went to like KFC or something as a young young kid and I was always in the kitchens there but that never really flared my passion for food that just provided money to be able to go out with your mates but then when when we had to do work experience there was a cafe opening up the road from school and I was like you know what I'm going to go in there Mind you, this was the morning I had to hand in the form saying I'd found somewhere too. So uh, it was, it all kind of lined up the way it did. And I walked in there and met this lovely guy named Steve. And I was like, hey, hey, you. And he goes, hey, you. And I was like, I need a, I need a work experience place. He goes, and that was still building. He goes, you can tell we're not open. I'm like, I need it in a month's time, not now. And he goes, listen, that'll be the first week we're open. If you want to come, come. We'd love to have you. And I was like, all right, wow. So I came and, you know, I cut some onions and I made some salads. And I think they do pizza back then so I did some pizzas and they were like after a week they're like we like you and they're meant to give you like $50 I think he put like $250 in my pocket he's like we want you to come back next week you can have that again next week if you come back and I was like done so I started washing dishes and I guess being around the food the hustle and bustle the bunch of pirates as I'd like to refer to as the back of house you know all of them having fun and joking and laughing but somehow professionally putting up nice food and doing it I really liked that and I was like wow I want to do more yeah yeah and that's where my flair for food started to, like, I, well, my inspiration, I suppose, grew. Yeah. I was like, well, what, this is this. What can I do more? So I started finding some friends that, you know, were, had friends, and they were all, like, working in different kitchens. And I was lucky enough to do, like, a little pop-up shift at a place called uh, Cafe Latte, which was in Malvern Road. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I spoke to um, his son, <laughs> Sasha, who's open, um, who's running the... Middle Eastern one. Yeah. Yeah, as well. So yeah. there you go. So I was actually, funnily enough, wow. I did it. I did that. This is going back a long time now. That was back when Ricardo Mameso was still the head chef there. Okay. And I met him there. 
And then a, about three months later after that, I got a phone call randomly one morning, and it's like, hey, Nathan. And I go, yes. He goes, it's Ricardo, you did the stage at Cafe Latte. I'm a little now. And I didn't know what this was at the time. I had no idea. I'm 16 years old. I was like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. He goes, I got a job for you. I said, oh, that sounds wonderful. I said, when do I start? And he goes, tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock. And I said, oh, but I've got another job. And he said, well, you've got two choices. You can come tomorrow morning and have a job or don't come tomorrow morning and you don't have a job. And that was literally that. And then yeah. unfortunately, I had to do the wrong thing from where I was. And I took the job where I was, not knowing anything more than I'd worked with this guy once and I realized what the, he could do. And I was lucky enough to be at Ubakura when, you know, they were charging and yeah, wow. you know, stayed there for four years, you know, just as a young apprentice. And I think that's where that's where my that's where my career started. Yeah. I can confidently say amazing. that. Amazing. Yeah. What an amazing place to launch. Yeah, it was lucky. Yeah. Super, super, super lucky. And you know, blind luck. You know, blind luck, you know, right person, right time. Yes and no, because I feel like you still had to prove yourself to the right person. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) I think, if I remember correctly, they got me to rinse the rock salt off because it was too salty on my (laughs) stuff. (laughs) And, you know, look, it's always a good hazing, but you always take it with with a smile, and I think I did that night, and they were like, you know, good on you, you know? Yeah, Um, yeah, and I was lucky. That's where my career started. Yeah, and then I um, read that you were head chef by 24. Mm -hmm. So that's quite a trajectory to um, be on. It was a super trajectory. Then I started on the super highway, I suppose. You know, I did uh, Ilbakuro for quite some time, and then I was off at Italy 1, and then I went to... Sorry, from Ilbakuro... No, I went to SOS where Ricardo... I followed Ricardo to SOS, which was at Melbourne Central. That was like a little fine diner. Didn't last too long, unfortunately, but really good food. Such a shame. And then from there, went to Italy 1, then to... And then I was... Went to Sati, and then from Sati, I was CDP, junior sous chef, sous chef. Um, then Ricardo left and I took as the head chef for a little bit of time, which I was lucky to do, yeah. which was a really good taste. And I got offered a position to be a head chef at a place. And I was like, you know what? I can take this on. I can do this. But I think we all learned very quickly, 24 is too young to be a head chef. Yeah, so why do you say that? Um, look, I think you don't... I think it becomes... It, being a, being a, a sous chef is really easy because a lot of the head chefs take all that responsibility, the grunt from the owners, the costings, the menu planning, the constant phone calls. You don't get that. So you think being when you do it one or two days a week or you do it for a short amount of time, it's very easy. But it's only when you become a head chef that you realise what it involves. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a job you take home with you. Yeah. Um, which is great. It was a great experience. Yeah. And then I guess you've got to also have worked out what your leadership style is. You exactly. Know? And, um, and it, that might be quite hard. It is. It's for. super difficult. And, you know, I'm, I'm the first one to say that, you know, look, it was an amazing experience. But from there I was like, no, you need to go back and you need to go learn. You need to go and work harder. And, you know, I, I, you just keep going from strength to strength. And, you know, when you take a step back and you go, yep, you grow yourself, you learn who you are a bit more, and like you said, leadership style. So by the time I hit 28, I was like, you know what, I'm ready for this now. Yeah. Um, well, sorry, 27, sorry. So I took a few years, and then I was at Tulta Bene, and I was lucky there to really hit my straps. Yeah. And, okay, and so Tulta Bene, and, and, and when did this thing, because I wasn't quite sure what this pop-up near the Palais Theatre was. Oh. <laughs> what was that with now, the parfaits? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Okay, so that happened about two years into me being at Tutu Ben as the head chef. Um, I was with a, an ex-partner of mine now um, and she overhauled my Facebook the week before and I get this random message one day on my Facebook saying, hey, do you want to open a restaurant? It's like... <laughs> 
tell me more like oh, I had no idea and they're like hi I'm a producer from Channel 7 you know we're doing a new TV show are you interested in are you interested in applying and I said okay what do I have to do they're like you have to send a video an interview with you and your partner you know telling us what you would do as a restaurant and we need it by tomorrow morning at 9am <laughs> and I was like do you give everybody this amount of time? And he said, no, this is just the last day. And we saw your profile pop up recently and we thought, oh, we want to give you a shot. So we got it done. Uh, they liked us, which was lucky. And then went through the... Is this running at the same time as Pito Bene? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, so we didn't do that. So we did the interview process. It took about six months. Like, they're pretty scrupulous when it comes to, like, you know, who you are. And they put you in front of mock cameras and they do interviews. It's crazy. And then we were, we got the job, and then I obviously had to resign from Tutabena, saying, look, I can't do both at the same time. So we did the pop-up, which was a six-month TV show, which filming's pretty hardcore. Yeah, so how, how does that work, though? I mean, I feel like... Are you just going about your business and they're filming you and oh, the no. editor, or you, you've kind of scripted with what you do? Oh, no, no, no. There are things that are scripted and there's things that you go about and do what you want. They have their story that they want to pitch, yeah. and you know, and you got to go to your your events, so to speak. So you got to go to your weekly meetings on who scored what when, and you got to go to the other people's restaurants. And there's, there's a lot of running oh, around and oh, flying. Oh, so it's still a competition. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, it was okay. like... Um, it was like it was a full-on competition on who ran a restaurant the most efficiently, the most proficiently, and all all okay. the bits that goes involved with running a restaurant. The difference is, is you've got TV producers who don't know how to run a restaurant, no. telling you like asking yeah. you lots of questions yeah. over and over, and it's a camera in your face. And did you have to have drama? Like, did you have to cry? And oh, stuff? trust me, yeah, you no. didn't need to create it. It was already <laughs> there. It was already there. I did catch them once turning my food delivery trucks away just so I could like fret. Oh. A, yeah, yeah. They didn't, they didn't like the response they got from me that day because yeah. I was waiting for something to be delivered and they saw it as an opportunity to... Yeah, so from that perspective, drama's always going to get created, if yeah. that makes sense. But overall, it just happens. you got a camera in your face. Restaurants are a hard place to work. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. But, um, so looking back on that yes. experience, what would be like... What did you take from that? It was just a oh. kind of an adventure. <laughs> what is it? Oh, shit, yeah. It, look, honestly, and I swear a lot, so sorry, don't print no, that. Fine. But um, look. Here's your gun. It was mostly fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, the point is, it is, it, it is a... It was an amazing experience. I will always say that. Was it hard work? Yes. Did I, did I collapse on the last day because I was physically exhausted? Yes. But did I have a lot of fun? Yes. Did I make some great friends? Yes. Did I learn a lot? Yes. Did I work out that I can run a restaurant and if I can run it under that pressure, I could do it by myself like what I'm doing now? Yes. Yeah. It definitely teaches you a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I wonder sometimes, because I saw that you've got like 16,000 followers on your Instagram account. Oh, so stop is it that, <laughs> Is that, you know, because a lot of the chefs I, I, I speak to um, are kind of under the radar, like they're head chefs and they're working in really good places and they're doing really good things. Do you think you need a bit of personality to get ahead in the chef world, in the restaurant I, world? Or I, you, look, without being... I don't want to come across as arrogant because that's definitely, you know, I can be very brash and some people mistake the two and that's not who I am. I'm just very honest yeah. and some people love it and some people don't like it as much. But 
you can love it or take it, at least I told you what I think. The point is, when it comes to food, there's three houses in hospitality these days, and whether chefs of the old world or the front of house of the old world or the owners of the old world want to admit it or not, that's the truth. You have the back of house, you have the front of house, then you have the media house. And the three have to work in synergy or it's never going to succeed because you can cook some amazing food, but the fact is, unless people see it on their phones... They're not going. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the word of mouth that's just amazing for the stalwarts. Yeah. But a new restaurant? Yeah, absolutely. Not going to happen. We've got an abundance of food here in Melbourne. Yeah, totally right. And um, and I feel like... So tell me about Mooney Ponds, because Mooney Ponds to me... <laughs> <laughs> Way over there. Where are you from? <laughs> well, I'm actually from Christchurch, but... <laughs> so it's all... Really <laughs> yeah, it's really far. No, Just I a plane, a bus and a cab. <laughs> no, I live in Abbotsford. Yeah. Ah, yeah. So it is, it, is a bit of a, it is a bit of a drive. But Mooney Ponds for me is... It's a real hub. Of... Yeah, Madeline said it's really up and coming as a place yeah. to go. Look, it's always been there. Mooney Ponds is Essendon's... I don't want to use a, a term like... A big sister, a little sister, or whatever else is, but it's they're just they're family. Like yeah. you know, you got Essendon, which has always been a hub for a long-standing amount of time. You know, in the north, people have always gravitated towards there. You've always got a lot of shops, a lot of places to eat. There's always like if you're in Essendon, you're normally you're doing all right in life. I'll be oh. honest, it's not cheap. Yeah. Um. So and that's and that's the truth. Like yeah. it, it's quite expensive the house there. So if you're there, you've got quite a you've got the facilities to cater for that that environment. Okay. Like anywhere, if you go to move to the other side of town, you live in Richmond or somewhere else. It's it's another hub. No matter where you go, you're you're in there. Mooney Ponds is one of those places that is up and coming, but it's also, it's full of culture, it's full of life. You've got theatres, you've got lots of food, you've got strips of, strips, like, down every little spot where you've got every delicacy and every food that you want to eat. Not to mention, they've got one of the largest teen populations in Melbourne. And Mooney Ponds? Mm. I did not know that. There you go. I was looking at the demographics the other week, and I have to be fact, I can't list the exact order that they go in, but it's right up there. And, I was always, I sort of always thought, you know, Brunswick maybe yeah, or but, Carlton. But that's where you're, you're flicking into Mooney Ponds coming from that yeah, direction course, anyway. So you've got all the old Italian migrant settlers that have grown out that way and they've all kind of stayed out that way. So yeah. I live in Glenroy and Glenroy is another hub that's now changing a little bit but used to be very Italian and Greek as like back in the old times. And you walk down the streets, I have puppies, and we walk down the streets and you see fruit trees, fig trees hanging over everywhere. Yeah. And fig trees, olive trees, lemon trees, olive, like olives figs and lemons if you see them you know you're in a culture you're you know you're in a mediterranean sort of culture because that's what happened they came over and they planted all the seeds they did they did so which is also great for the bees because apparently the honey from those areas would be amazing it's sensational um and that's what i love about mooney ponds like you've got all of that rich culture just still it's still there yeah um so you have a lot of italian restaurants to boot like you know i've been i nicknamed it little italy because like it literally it's packed with italians and packed with italian my ideas. Yeah, I would. <laughs> it's, it's really cool. I don't want to call it a suburb's name from somewhere else and say it's the something from somewhere else because no. I think that's really bad because yeah. Mooney Ponds is Mooney Ponds. Yeah. But it's super cool and I've really enjoyed it. They've done spent a lot of money there revamping it into what it is now. Yeah. Okay, so now tell me about risotto because I, cause I've read around risotto in previous articles and so on and, um, and, and it feels like there's there's two kind of people have conferences about risotto like there's the wet risotto and yes. the dry what's your take look, well look for me a wet risotto is the right risotto yeah I don't understand a mountain of risotto for me that that is so wrong I can't I would be so far in one corner it's that's my opinion 
um, a risotto should flow like a wave. The term that they use to describe it is alonda. Alonda directly translates to is a wave. So when it hits the plate, it should it should just it should sploosh like a wave. Like, I don't know how to describe it. You see a wave crash on the shoreline and it kind of recedes, and you know that's slow. Like you know what's moving, but it's kind of moving nice and slowly. Yeah, okay. That's what risotto should flow like. Even when you take a spoon out, it should kind of close itself back over. But it shouldn't be wet, like, to the point where it's a soup. Okay. It's a complicated... It, that's why it's a consistency that's got its own technical term. Um, but that comes through a lot of things. But that's what I love about risotto. Like, what grain you use, the way you cook it, how you prepare it, you know, or how much of the things you add to it. Do you add duck, which is rich in, like, fats, so when you work it in the risotto, you don't need to add a lot of butter and parmesan because that mixed with the starch becomes creamy. Or do you work with a seafood risotto that you have to use a creamy grain, such as like a canarelli grain, which is full of starch. So when you work the risotto really hard, you end up with a risotto that looks like you've added lots of butter and parmesan, but really you've added nothing. Wow, okay. So th- it's a real science. Yeah. And you have all those different kinds of things yes. going on on the menu. Okay. Definitely. So we're actually featuring three different types of grains. The only three that are actually readily available in Australia because of due to import rights on things that grow near risotto, because there's actually quite a few other grains out there. But the ones that we're focusing on is a boring. Canarale and Violoninano. And they're all very individual in the sense of what they can be done. We're lucky enough that we can also get the reserve grains, which are just like a bit more particular in the shape, if that means. Now, it's a very finicky sort of thing for me. Like, I, I, I see the difference, but I understand that people would not. But for me, there's, there's the, the, what you use and how you use it specifically is important. Um, I sound like a crazy person. I get that, but no, no, don't no. Worry. But but risotto for me is it, 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 every grain has a use. Yeah. So for me, I, I don't understand why you would use something like canarelli with pumpkin. For me, that makes no sense. Oh. I would use violoninano because you don't need the big grains in the pumpkin because the pumpkin's creamy enough. You know, like right. when you add it all together, it comes out together. Now, some chefs will say no, you use the other one. But from my experience, no, you actually use this one. So this is something that's from. So this is something that fascinates me about chefs. Um, so, you know, now that I've had two hundred before you that I've spoken to, uh, I just. Um, I feel like, lucky, by the way. Uh, yeah, this is the, the idea that um, that you just know what goes. I mean, and it is from experience. So I get that, but then. I cook every day, but, <laughs> but I'm, not, I'm not, not the same as uh, a chef. <laughs> and I get that. And so it's like, how do you know? Like, how do you know? When it's, it's crazy. And it really is. And I'm going to be really shit when I say it is experience. It but is. it is. But, you know, I worked it out. And I think I worked it out that, you know, my time I took to Ben we cooked. Hang on. I wrote it down. It was like something stupid in the tens of thousands of yeah, risotto. I don't do that. No, and <laughs> nobody does. No. This is it. So I guess then you do, then you can say you just know that pumpkin goes with that grain. That's it. And, but for me, that's that, that's what I see. Now, you can make an argument that say it goes well with the other one too. And I will say, yes, you make sense. But for me, I don't think that's a good idea. Ha- now, I'm using that as an example. Do they have to have wine in them? No. No. Do, no. Should they or not? They, or some do or some don't? Well, you see, now that's the fun. There we go. 52,560 risottos we worked yeah. it at. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to think we've cooked a few. Um, 
you know, wine has its place. I, I will wholly agree that you should add wine to some risottos. There's risotto out there that I do with Induya. And when I do Induya risotto, because I found the spiciness and the pepperiness in the, okay. in the, in the, in the meat itself, that when I'm cooking the rice off at the start, in the very first stage where I'm toasting the rice in the dry pot and I'm making it there, I actually hit it with a bit of white wine because I find that that white, evaporated white wine kind of cuts through the acidity of the meat. Yeah. But, but that's just me. That's just me. But for general, every day, no. I don't put wine in my So risotto. at base, risotto for you, what, are, what is that? What has to be in it? Rice. And then stock? Yes. That's it. Like, some people do onions. Some people, like, do lots of things. I don't put onion. Ah. No. Um, I found that it's just, it's, it's not necessary. If you can make a beautiful vegetable stock or a beautiful fish stock or a beautiful meat stock or veal stock, we used to have seven different types of stock at Tutabene at any one time, be it a shellfish or whatever it might be. Like, if you can make the flavor in the stock itself, the rice is a sponge. Yeah. It will absorb everything you give it. Well, I don't need to add onion. If I put onion in my stock, why would I put onion in my stock and then onion in the rice base and then yeah, all the things yeah. are going to taste like is onion? Yeah. That, 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 that for me, it's, it's never made any sense. Mm, okay. And I was always a massive advocate of it until I stopped putting it inside. And when I stopped putting the onion inside, and I, this came through a lot of trial and error in the last six months, I discovered that it's not necessary at all. And yeah. the risotto tastes more like risotto. Yeah. And cheese? Yes, Definitely. Um, obviously not in a seafood risotto. Oh, obviously not. <laughs> obviously not. No. Um, but in a in a in a normal risotto, yes, of course. So I always finish my risottos with Parmigiano Reggiano. It's it's important that we use this one because of the flavour that it brings. But there are some beautiful other aged like Grana Padanos and stuff like that that can be a really good substitute for mm. this. And so then, um, when is this place opening? Hopefully March. That's March. our goal at this point. Every builder will tell you something, but uh, that's what we're gunning for. Yeah. We're gunning. Yeah. We're gunning pretty hard. It's, it's a long time, isn't it, for a build or something? Yeah. Well, we're building into a new development building. So oh, we've got apartments happening. Oh, yeah. and there's more than just us. Yeah, so we're waiting for the building to be built so we can, we can pop ourselves underneath. Yeah. But that's all in the process. And so on that menu, obviously, there's three, did you say three risotto? Or no? No. Three, three grains. Three different, three unique like three grains being used in unique ways um, but we will probably feature at any time three all three of them or a variation of um, be it like the reserve of the Villa di Nan or Canarale or something like this and we will actually have always six on the menu okay wow mm, I've tussled with putting more on but I think six is elegant enough considering I want to change them weekly how many variations are there? thousands <laughs> Of risotto, yes. yeah. Thousands. So, do you have to remain traditional to you do and Italian? Don't. Oh, and I will. Like, don't get me wrong, I will. I think that Italian is so rich in culture. Italy itself is rich in culture, and it's kind of. I just got back from Italy, and seeing what they're doing over there at the moment. You know, when you go to like a place like Christian Emmanuel, which are up in Versilli, which are these got these two brothers are known for risotto. That's what they do. They are like the kings of risotto as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, they're doing a risotto with carbonara, which we would typically put as a pasta. Yeah. But when you're eating this, you go, you know, I actually, and this is me maybe being biased because I love risotto, but I'm going, maybe I prefer this better with the rice. Mm. And so when you open up that portal, how many thousand, vari- how many variations do you have of pasta? Yeah. Why can't we try it? Why can't we tackle them? I'm not going to say I'm getting a pasta book out and copying them word, word for word, but I'm saying... I think it's equally as diverse as there. Yeah. 
Will you also have pasta? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're working on a couple of different things at the moment. We're actually making pasta out of risotto. It looks confusing. <laughs> it sounds confusing. It looks like pasta, but it's made from rice. Wow, okay. And Is it yeah, I saw your face. Gluten and gluten. No, it won't be gluten free because you oh. need the starchiness of like the strong pizza pasta flour because oh. it still needs to have bite. But the point is, risotto is diverse. You know, rice is diverse. Let's be yeah. honest. It's not just risotto. With rice in general, think about how many things you can do with it. Be it rice glass noodles, which, you know, there's people out there that make rice wine. Why can't you make risotto wine? I'm not, sure. sa- I'm not saying I am, but I'm, <laughs> but that's where my head's at. Yeah, yeah. You know, if that yeah, kind of... When you start to look at risotto, less as a, less as a, a, a grain or the like the, the hidden cousin or, the you know, the black yeah. sheep of Italy in a way. Like, risotto is oh. so beautiful. But, yeah. And people love it where they're from but if you don't know where it's from people kind of why is it the black sheep is it just because it's not as cool as pasta yeah I think so I think pasta's taken the limelight for way too long yeah. and that's what this that's what Rizzy's all about as yeah. far as I'm concerned it's about it's not making Rizzy cool because I always believe it is Yeah. Um, but it's about getting it out there and showing everyone else that hey you can have a whole meal from entree through to dessert made from risotto if you want to and yeah. Rizzy will facilitate that through to dessert through to dessert I like rice pudding no <laughs> What about tiramisu? What, out of... Out of rice. Oh. Our signature dish, which I've just finished working on, is called Rizzi Masu. Okay. And it's literally made from risotto. But it doesn't look great risotto. It looks like tiramisu. Wow. Yeah. So the point is that we can we can take risotto and do whatever we want to it. And yep. provided you know where you're going to push it how, you can do a lot. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's what draws me the most to risotto. Yeah. That's interesting. It is. So, so obviously that is an exciting project for you because you've got to wait till March to do that. So Yeah, which is fine. You know, to be honest with you, I'm enjoying at the moment. I'm driving my fiance insane because I'm cooking a lot of food at home and she's like, I have to go to the gym five nights a week just so you can cook. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I'm like, look, it is what it is. But, you know, we got we got it going from, you know, KitchenAid just, KitchenAid's the Thermomixes to, you know, water baths going. And we're constantly driving the menu forward. And I'm like, wow, it's the start of spring. What's out right now? What can we use? How can we use it? How can we make that cool? Yeah. And I think it's about being ultra seasonal. And writing the seasons now is great, great research. Yeah, it's sort of... It's, uh, I've to these really interesting people, I always speak to interesting people, but um, just lately, talking about the fact that four seasons is a myth, and, um, and if you think back to the indigenous people, they really spoke about, I think, 12 seasons, you know. Um, there, there are so many in-between seasons, and, and oh, it changes like, all the time, so you 100%. can't really go, okay, now we're in winter, we're doing this, you know, like, let's go. I think um, that that's a haggard old outlook on yeah. things, and I, I use that word really seriously, like, I hate that, like, you know, four menus in a year, how sad is that? Yeah. Like, I have to cook the same food for three months. Like, I would literally bash my head into a wall. Yeah. Like, if I if asparagus is no good, because asparagus, as far as really good asparagus, you get for two and a half, three weeks of the year, maybe four if we had a bump a year, why am I cooking it for the other two and a half months? Yeah. What? Yeah. So because I don't want to reprint a menu? Yeah. I'm sorry, no. Yeah. That doesn't... Why can't we write the seasons? And that's why, Rizzy, we print the menus every week. We'll be printing the menus every week. Yeah. Because I'm like... I had a great week. Like, last week I was at the Victoria Market and we got there was garfish. As far as I could see, you could see garfish. And I was like, wow, garfish season's here. Like, it, it, it is time. Yeah. And when you hit the markets every week like I do, like, you really get to see what's abundantly available and you go, right, it's that time of year. We can have that. So why wouldn't you do something with it? Totally. But next week, 
can't find a garfish. So why would you be paying three times the price for something that was last week's product? Yeah. And then it doesn't. It, it, it it's ludicrous. To I me. think it's better for our bodies too, because I feel like. Um, you know, I feel like we've lost sense of what is right for our bodies in terms of seasonal things. Because obviously when lettuce is abundant or watermelon is abundant, it's because we need more um, refreshing, hydrating kind of things. And I think we just think we should have that all the time. But I think it's, it's quite interesting when you think about it. If we could get more in tune with that, it would be yeah. better. But. I think it's nice. I think it's nice when you talk. I talked a lot of my chef friends and how in touch we are with the seasons now. We're like, oh, broad beans, they'll be up in a couple of weeks. And yeah. it's just like one of these things that we we know is coming. It's like broad beans, oh, they're, they're coming. Oh, I I saw some shoots of asparagus. I know they're coming out now. Yeah. Hey, have you seen those flowers? Hey, like I've always got a garden on my balcony. I've got raspberries, blueberries, passion fruits. I've even got a tomato that's like three foot tall already. Yeah. Like I've got them there. So I'm always watching things grow. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, broccoli still going pretty strong. And I base that on what I can see in front of me. Yeah. So this guy I spoke to this morning. He's got this three week window where pine needles have these extra bright green, very tender shoots right at the top. Yeah. And he's like doing stuff with them and like he gave me some to taste and they were quite citrusy really amazing you're like please like this is my favourite time of year the three weeks of pine needle shoot <laughs> oh my god I love it I love it when chefs and how go good, and how good is that yeah and I think that's what it's all about and being ultra seasonal and then when you couple it with something that is such a beautiful platform to work with such as risotto I think that's where it becomes a lot of fun yeah so you're obviously we talked about you're going from experience and you're going from the season and from the product do you read cookbooks to you Where, yeah. what, what, what's your inspiration my inspiration comes from everywhere be yeah. it eating um, and I eat out a lot which I really enjoy doing you know I'm always popping up here there and everywhere and it always doesn't have to be fine dining it's just anywhere I think you can draw an experience from eating down Chinatown and seeing a combination you haven't seen before to popping up in Little Collins Street and eating at a one hatted restaurant like yeah. you know it doesn't matter or Flinders Lane or wherever you want to go yeah. I think there's always an experience but then when you're not doing that I've always got my head buried in a cookbook I came back with quite a few of them that were on Italian, so I'm sitting there reading them and with my best Italian I can, and then <laughs> Google Translate in the other hand, translating yeah. that word. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, okay, cool. That's another way to do it. And I've been scouring op shops lately for like really old Italian books, and you find them event like every now and again. Yeah. yeah, you don't find them a lot, but sometimes you just, the, the old cookbook section, you, you'd be amazed the nuggets you find with people that don't know what they had. And I found this book of like from the 50s the other week, and it's, you know, like, all the regions of Italy broken down and Napoli and 25 different recipes for Napoli and then you know how to do pancetta a different way how to do that and I'm like wow isn't this amazing look they've even put it in front of you you can 25 different ways to do everything yeah and I guess that's where that comes from but the most of it the inspiration just comes from I guess feeding your brain with all that information and then just really having the opportunity to think about it yeah thank you you're welcome You've been listening to Conversation with a Chef. I'm Jo Ritty, and thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to read the full transcript of the conversation, you can go to www.conversationwithachef.com or follow me on Instagram so you'll always be up to date with the latest conversation.